Hello, and welcome to G Talking All That Jazz. This podcast is really the testimony of a friendship that spans over four decades. A friendship between two black professionals that began in Harlem, New York in the mid-1970s. As young men, both learning from each other on how to navigate the sometimes formidable and unapologetic streets of Harlem, New York, both here and now, still standing with a wealth of transferable knowledge. As you join G and Jazz on their journey of reflection, listen, listen closely for the true messages about friendship, morality, and brotherly love, because their trials and tribulations come at a cost. G and Jazz will share their thoughts and opinions on a variety of topics, from love and relationships, from family to politics, and of course, friendship. Again, welcome to G talking all that jazz. Buckle up. Yo, Jazzy Mac, what's going on, good brother? The same thing as yesterday, my friend. I'm just trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents. <laughs> Is that right, man? Listen, I just want you to know up here in the, in the north, man, we're getting some good weather, brother. I got a little 40-degree weather up here. I know you're down in Georgia enjoying that 60-degree weather, but uh, actually, we got my 44 friend, degrees. Actually, seven, actually 70. <laughs> 70 degrees. Just okay. you know, actually 70, man. What's been up with you, man? How was your Valentine's Day? It was great, man. I spent some time, you know, uh, giving, honestly, man, I do Valentine's Day with my daughters. My biggest thing is, since my daughter was born, Dante was born 32 years ago, I spent Valentine's Day with my children. I buy them flowers. I buy them candy. I buy them chocolates, man. I go to their jobs and I deliver the candy to them and say, hey, happy Valentine's Day from daddy, you know, and that's my Valentine's, man. You know, nice. that's nice. my thing. I think teaching my daughters how men should treat them you know, on Valentine's Day, you know, all day. Daddy's Valentine's Day. You always gonna be Daddy's Valentine's Day. Daddy loved it. That's that was my Valentine's Day. How about you, bro? Uh, you know, Valentine's Day is like the continuum of Mother's Day, the continuum of Christmas. <laughs> if you miss Valentine's Day, and it's almost like Groundhog Day. If you miss Valentine's Day, you're gonna be you have six more weeks of a very cold <laughs> winter, my friend. It's going to I understand. Be I understand. You get what I, mean. I so, do get it. So Valentine's Day is just another way that, that women get gifts. I'm sorry. I had to say yep. that. All right. Well, listen, so, that'll be another show. Be another but listen, show. man, we got a great show coming up. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. We got, the, um, you know, we got Mr. Joey Jackson coming on to our show. But before... We introduce him and we go through his bio. Let's do our disclaimer to make sure that people understand that if you ever hung out with us or you come on our <laughs> bong, show. Bong, 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 bong. This is yes. a public service announcement. Yes, all indeed. All of the stories you're about to hear are all true. All true. Same dates and events will not be changed. None. If you happen to come on this show as a guest or if you hung out with us in the streets of New York, and you happen to break up with your honey bunny, your butter oh, love, your, All right. your side piece, your sneaky link, because we dropped one of them stories on you. Gee, we are Beyonce sorry. 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 Not, not sorry. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. He's the doctor on the show. Doctor so before, <laughs> no, wet food stamp. So listen, <laughs> let me do this quick introduction of, okay. of Mr. Joy Jackson. Joy Jackson is a nationally recognized attorney who has for over two decades represented individuals in labor unions in state and federal court. 
As a principal and founder of Joy Jackson Law PLLC, Mr. Jackson oversees every aspect of the practice. Mr. Jackson and his associates at Joey Jackson Law have represented diverse groups of clients under the glare and cameras, as well as those who have never attracted public attention. He has built an outstanding career as a trial lawyer, representing clients who have fallen into high-stakes personal and professional crises, as well as those who are average citizens in need of fierce and benevolent counsel. Mr. Jackson has been a member of the New York Bar since 1995. After graduating from Hofstra Law School, Mr. Jackson was appointed Assistant District Attorney under Robert um, Margothew ah, following a successful career as a professional where he received a Distinguished Public Service Award. Mr. Jackson joined the firm of Kohler and Isaacs LLP, where he served as a senior trial counsel specializing in criminal defense. Mr. Jackson has tried cases and received favorable verdicts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and the Bronx, as well as in Nassau, Rockland County, Suffolk County, and Westchester counties. At the federal level, he handles cases in both eastern and southern districts. His education, again, is Hofstra University Law, SUNY Auburn Rockefeller College of Public Affairs, and also he um, has a, a, a BA in Brockport. Bar admission, admissions in New York, U.S. District Court, uh, Court, Southern District Court in New York, U.S. District County, Eastern District of New York, and Supreme Court of New York. Honors and Distinguished Public Service Award. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women, let me introduce you to Mr. Joey Jackson. And the crowd goes crazy. And the crowd. How you doing? <laughs> Welcome to our show, sir. Um, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time out to be here with me and G and Jazz on our show. We got a couple of questions and some things that we want to talk to you about. And um, I'm going to let Jazz start off the show. Go ahead, Jazz. All right. So before you go and before Jazz goes and G, you did your thing, et cetera, uh, just let me tell you it's a pleasure to be with you. It's a privilege. I appreciate what you guys do and forming the masses. Uh, I like the old school discussion. I know you've been back in the day, right, from your union in Harlem to making great things happen and supporting our community and doing all you do. So before you fire the questions away, and I read your disclaimer, and I heard Jazz say he was just trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents. I'm trying to make 50 cents out of a penny, but it's all good. We're just trying to work hard and do what we do. And thank you for having me. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're on the same page, my friend. We're on the same page. So, actually, this is, you know, I, 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 I'm definitely, you know, seeing you on other networks and hear some of the discussion. And, and it's, sometimes I, I, I pick your brain, you know, in my living room in terms of, uh, of how you would approach some legal issues that have impacted uh, negatively the Black community. And so when I see cases, these, these current cases, like the Mayor Lot case that's, that's happening now, and uh, the, the, Arbery case, the Arbery case that's, that's still happening as well, what is your, what is your take on um, policing and what is happening in, 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 in various states throughout this nation when it comes to policing and, and how the, the treatment of you know, in particular, African-American man. Yeah, Jazz, we've, we've got a long way to do, and we certainly have just a lot of work to do uh, in so many areas. And, you know, I think you can look at these things and say, wow, they're of recent vintage in terms of our people being over-policed in communities, you know, being handled aggressively and our African-American men mistreated. 
you could look at it that way, like this is of recent vintage and people are going nuts. So you can look at it in the way that we are in a day of social media. We're in a day where everybody has their phone, everyone's a photographer, everybody's a reporter, and these things are being captured. And I think that's my philosophy. I think this has been going all, all along and it has been happening for way too long. Uh, and I think now it's manifesting itself because that which is done in the dark, as we know, G and, and Jazz, will come out in the light, right? And so I think with people having their um, cell phones and everything else, they're recording it. And I think it's high time. Why? Because it leads to the development of movements. And you know, you cannot suppress people, but for so long until people rise up and say enough is enough, right? History, I think, teaches us that. And I think that that's what has occurred. There's a day of reckoning where we have to examine police departments and we have to do a top to bottom evaluation of seeing what is it about the African-American male that allows for people to visualize us in a manner that is inconsistent with humanity. To look at, you know, a lot of times people in our community, like we're dangerous, like, you know, we're not well-meaning, like we're not, you know, out here doing tremendous things as we are, right? As a community in this society, uh, you know, just trying to develop, trying to advance, trying to feed our families and trying to live every day in a peaceful way, in a respectful way, uh, to educate others, to inspire others, to give people faith, hope and everything else. And so when I see that, I think it's a product of occurrences that have been happening forever, that are now being broadcast to the community. And I think the difference and distinction is, is that I think people who are not of color are saying, wow, this is really too much. If you look at the recent movements and the marches, I, I'm struck by the diversity of those crowds. I'm struck by how brothers and sisters in other communities, right, that don't have our skin tone are getting on this and saying, you know what? We have to look at this and police have to check themselves. Now, let me just be clear. My father was an officer, a police officer as I was growing up. I get it. I understand it. He always told me, though, right, Jazz G, that of all the weapons he carried, the best weapon he had was his voice. Respect people. Treat people kindly. Treat people humanely. Treat people as you would like to be treated yourself extend people courtesies. I get sometimes you got to do what you got to do when you're an officer, but you know, the benefit of the doubt needs to be given to us as opposed to taken away from us. And so until we evaluate policing, until we think about how we can fix it, get more diversity on police forces, allow officers to know and understand that, you know, we in our communities are uh, wonderful human beings, again, trying to uplift each other, trying to grow, trying to live the dream that everybody else is trying to live, that we shouldn't be over-policed, that people shouldn't be aggressive towards us because of our hue or anything else, until we fix the dynamic of that and the culture in policing, that you can do what you want and get away with it, like lean on someone's neck for nine and a half minutes and think that's okay, as a crowd forms around and says, hey, 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 that, that's just wrong. And so I think that, you know, in, in this day of reckoning, and I'll end here, I know you have other questions, we've seen accountability. We saw the George Floyd jury come back, that was 11 white and one African American, and they convicted, they convicted, right? Um, and just excuse me, let me just reverse that just a little bit, because the 11 to white jury happened to be the jury in Georgia relating to the McMichael case. And even the fact that I own my confusion as it relates to the McMichael case with Travis McMichael, Greg McMichael, and then Roddy Bryant, that was an 11 white person jury and a one African-American jury that convicted and rung them up in the deep South. The fact that I'm confused, right? It means there's too much going on. 
because I was referring before to George Floyd, a lot more diverse of a jury, but still that jury convicted the police officer also. Why do I raise these things? I raise these things because it sends a message that people of goodwill, when they see things are wrong, could write that wrong. And the more people write the wrong and the more juries ring people up for doing the wrong thing, the more people will do the right thing. And so that's my view uh, on the matter, Jazz. So, so do we, do we, there's this notion, this is pushed and more, more from, uh, uh, it seemed like more of a political push about defunding the police. Um, is that the solution to defund the police? Because I know that if something is jumping off in my neighborhood, I want to dial 911 and I want the police to come a running, to be quite honest. So is, is that really the solution is to defund the police? And what would that even look like? Yeah, so you know, Jazz, I have my point of view like everybody else in the world and mine is no better or worse than anyone, nor is my opinion. Right. Uh, it's informed, obviously, from my upbringing in the boogie down Bronx where the people are fresh. It took one DJ who could pass the test. Anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> the bottom line is that we're all informed and products of the environment and we think certain things. And let's make no mistake about it. If your interactions and in growing up have been negative with the police, because the only time you see police is when they're stopping you, frisking you, accusing you of things and everything else you're gonna not like police too well. If you're in another community and the only interaction you have with the police is when they help you get the cat out the tree, right? Cause your cat is stuck and officer, officer, then it's gonna be a very different type of experience you have. But stepping aside from that, I think there are a lot of tools we can use to advance. I'm not into tools that punish. I'm into tools that develop, that build, that inform and that bring people together. And so, you know, defunding a police, people are of the view that that's workable. I think we have to look at how we allocate police resources. So I'm not a police defunder. I'm a police evaluator. How can we use resources better? Should we have police responding to and dealing with mentally ill people or perhaps someone else who's more trained and qualified should be dealing with them? Should we have police coming and interacting in our schools with young children or should we have somebody else perhaps coming and interacting with them? And so my point of view, and I don't have all the answers, will never claim to, is I think we have to have a conversation about how we can get better and whether or not if we redistribute resources, where those resources should go, who are the people who are best qualified, how we can de-escalate situations, how we can't go from zero to 60 and shooting and killing, but how we can perhaps accommodate and deal with an issue as my father, again, I'll bring him up and invoke him, may he rest in peace, has always said, speak to people, reason with people. Sometimes you can, I get it, but does that mean we shouldn't try? Perfection eludes us all. Does that mean every day we should try to make every mistake we can? No, we do the best we can every day. We're going to trip, we're going to stumble, we're going to fall, we're going to fail, but we always got to be at our best. And so if you de-escalate and have that in mind of I'm going to try to resolve this in this way, if it goes south, it does. But I think that should be the focus, the preservation of life, the respect for life, the value of life, the courtesy of humanity. And then, right, barring none, if those don't work, then you do what you have to do. So that's my opinion on the issue. Uh, yes, we have the second black man mayor of New York City, David Dinkins, and now Honorable Eric Adams. If you was on his team as his counselors, as wise counsel, what kind of wise counseling would you give or some advice you would give to our new mayor? What would you suggest that he do so that he should look at, you know, the spotlight? So I think that Mayor Adams uh, is off to a tremendous start. I think he gets it. And I think, let me speak about that before my counsel. I think he gets that because 
He's a product of the New York City environment. He's a person who's patrolled the streets. When you patrol the streets, you interact with a variety of people. He's a person who's dealt with the racism of the police department as he's freely admitted. He's been a person who, because of that, has known and understood what police have done, has been involved in those situations and knows based upon that what he thinks should be done differently, what I think he's now doing. He's a person who knows where resources should be distributed, et cetera, and he's a product of the African-American experience. And I think that also informs his, his judgment in terms of the, making his crew more diverse, my recommendations. He has, you know, look, he has really, I think, tried to empower communities. He's shown that through the people he's appointed in positions of authority. You see, you know, African-American men, African-American women, uh, you know, certainly uh, our white brothers and sisters also are an important part of his team. But I think he's making his team reflect the city. And I think the reflection of that team to reflect the city who are qualified, outstanding, exceptional people sends the right message. It also inspires youth to know and understand that they too can be in positions of authority and power and do things the right way. And so I think that tonally sets it up right. I think with regard to allocating resources, uh, you know, in terms of him overseeing the police department, where the police should be stationed, what they should be doing, how they should be interacting with our communities, how education, right, pivoting to that in terms of his educational picks and the chancellor, how all of it starts there. Focus on empowering our people. Focus on ensuring that people are getting the best education, ensuring that families have the best and the resources that they need to do the best jobs they can. And so I think, you know, the mayor knows what he's doing. He'll never need any advice from me. Um, but I do think he's off to the right start. I think he's setting the right tone. I also think that he's physically present. If you're sitting in that chair, you have to be everywhere and you're judged and treated unfairly. But you see him wherever it might be. In instances where, you know, remember that if there's a fire, he's there. If there's a shooting, he's there. If there's an attack on the subway, he's there. Uh, you know, I, and I think that sends the right message that you're a priority to me and you have to let people know who are in your city where you want people to come and spend money and revitalize it economically, that it's a safe city, it's a welcoming city, and I'm here for you. And I think that, you know, that's what he's doing. And I give him a lot of respect for that. And I think he, he can go down as, as a, a, a really probably uh, one of the best mayors we've ever seen. My next question I had is this. What was your favorite case? What was your, your my, most mind-blowing case that, you know, that you, know, that you took on? And, you, and it, it could be any one of them. And if you could talk about a little bit about it, you know, what made it your favorite, I would love to hear that as well. So, you know what, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I think all of us may have a tendency when we look and evaluate things, and I'm speaking to the case that I'm about to talk to you about, you know, whether we allow stereotypical things to get into our head, whether we prejudge people, whether we judge a book by its cover without reading or reviewing it. And I'll never forget, and it probably happened about a dozen years ago, uh, maybe even a few more. The time goes so quickly. It's, that's why we got to seize every moment and be at our best and look to inspire each other every day. But what happened, G, is I'll never forget a person coming into my office and, you know, he uh, was in big, big trouble. He was released on bail, was an attempted murder case, and he was accused at a nightclub of stabbing someone. Uh, and the person lived, but just barely. And when I got the case and he came to see me and, you know, we, he literally was just beginning his life. 
He just bought a home with his beautiful wife. They had just had a daughter. Uh, he just embarked upon a career as a law enforcement officer, as a corrections officer, you know, grew up in the community, just a, a real good guy in a terrible situation. But the problem was, G, when I got the file, I saw that there were four witnesses that said it was him that identified him. And they got a knife, they being the officers, when they pat frisked him, they got a knife and they tested the DNA and the DNA was of the victim. So when I saw him, I said, you know, look, uh, you know, Mr. So-and-so, the names will not be used. We got a problem, right? And that problem is, I'm not sure the story you're telling me, but from the facts that I see it, we don't have a shot here. We then saw a grown man crying, saying, look, I promise you I didn't do this. This had nothing to do with me. And I said, I'll tell you what, let me look, let me evaluate, let me see what's what. And so I started to do that, Jazz and G, and this is what I did. I looked at the file and something didn't, uh, didn't make sense to me. There were four witnesses and all of them in this nightclub, right? All of these people in this nightclub, they, the, the four of them knew each other, right? And that's strange to me, because if you have four witnesses, maybe one is a waiter, maybe one's a bartender, maybe one's a bouncer, maybe one's a patron, maybe one's a bystander who just stopped in. They all knew each other. They're all friends. So that was curious. And just backing up a bit, and this is why life is really strange. The guy was, he literally did a double tour. He came home. He was at a pizza shop. And a friend of his he hadn't seen was like, hey, they have a grand opening in this club in Queens. Come out. He's like, no, nah, I'm going home. I'm going to relax. His wife, who was a nurse, she was at a, a, an orientation for the weekend. You know, his mother had the baby. So it was a free weekend. And he was like, no, nah, I'm just going to go home. His friend convinces him. He goes there. It ends up this. So he was really feeling it that he should have stuck with his gut. In any event, moving on, all four witnesses are known to each other. So now I say that that's a problem to me. And I said, let me deal with that problem. So we end up going to trial. Right. And so when I was cross examining the witnesses, I'm saying, sir, it's fair to say that you say you observed that this occurred. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So everything. But you were at the club for four hours. Right. And when you're at a club, what do you do? Were you just standing there? Or did you have a drink? Well, I had a drink, maybe two, what, maybe two. Or was it more? All right. Maybe it was three, maybe something like that. And in fact, clubs are dark. Would you agree with that? Yes. And there are people milling around. Correct. You weren't there alone. Right. And you didn't exactly see what occurred because there were people in the mix. Yeah, there were a lot of people. It was dark and I kind of was feeling nice. Oh, so you were feeling nice. So anyway, we deal with that. So his credibility's hurt because obviously his observations are brought into question. So now we pivot to the next guy. Next guy is like, well, you know, I, I, I'm not sure what I saw, but my friend told me, oh, so you didn't see, your friend told you what happened. Yeah, but I believe my friend, but you didn't see it. No, I didn't see anything, right? Next witness up, same thing, right? I was drinking, I, I think, I'm not sure. I believed he was standing in the same area. I thought it was him, I could be wrong. And then the final thing that brought, broke the straws back, right? This is on the witnesses. The one witness who was stabbed during the trial, he pointed my guy out and said, he stabbed me, he did it, he did this, this, this. In the medical records, prior to him losing consciousness, the doctors and everything were asking him questions. The EMS, excuse me, when they first came, emergency medical service. What happened? What went on? He was like, I don't know, I was stabbed. Tell me who did it, I'm not sure. Tell me which direction, I don't know. But on the witness stand, he was telling me he knew. So I said, it's fair to say that when the medical people came, you were honest with them, weren't you? You were concerned because you wanted treatment, right? And there was no basis for you to lie, was there? No. And you told them the truth. I did. And everything that you told them could be relied upon because they asked you right when it happened, right? Yes. And it's fair to say you told them you had no clue, right? But today you say him. 
well, I, I, everybody told me it was him. So now we neutralize the witnesses. Now I got a big problem, Jazz and G. And that big problem is I got DNA still on the knife. So now we neutralize the witnesses. How am I going to deal with the fact that my client's DNA is on a knife that was in his pocket? Here's the deal. The officers came to the scene, 12 officers. The officer who pat frisked my client and took the knife was the same officer who dealt with the bloody victim who assisted it onto the stretcher and into the ambulance. And then he came, pat frisked my client. He took out the knife and examined it. So my question to him when he was on the stand was, sir, you got to the scene and you saw a victim bleeding, right? Right. And you're there because you want to preserve life. Yes. And you're not worried about yourself, are you? No, you're worried about saving someone, right? Of course. And that's what you did, right? So you launched into action, didn't you? I did. And you went and you approached this person who was bleeding. I did. And you wanted to help them. I did. You wanted them to live. I did. You then, without thinking about yourself, went and you grabbed them, didn't you? Of course I did. And you grabbed them because you wanted to save them. Yes. And you assisted them onto the ambulance. Yes. And he was bleeding profusely. Yes. And you helped the emergency technicians. Yes. And right after that, you went and you, you spoke to my client, right? Yes. And you pat frisked him. Yes. And you grabbed the knife. Yes. And you grabbed it and you looked at it. Yes. And then he kind of caught himself and was like, uh-oh. And so now we have a contamination issue because a lot of things, and I'll end the story here, Jazz and G, people are always smitten with DNA. If it's DNA, he guilty. DNA, he did it. But the bottom line is there's two big exceptions on the DNA issue. You don't know when something got there or how it got there. So DNA can be transferred. So my issue was of the 12 officers who arrived at the scene, the officer and the only officer to interact with my client had blood all over him. And then he's touching a knife. Of course, the DNA is going to be on the knife that he touched that he contaminated. So my guy was found not guilty. Now, this is the story that really changed my life. And it did because it made me examine, making a total U-turn, what I'm talking about with you. We cannot make assumptions. We can't judge books by covers. We can't stereotype. We have to look. We got to examine. We have to evaluate. We have to be clear. We have to be sure. And that always taught me every single file I get, read it, read it again, read it again, look, evaluate, ask questions you don't understand, make sure you do. And only in, when you do all those things could you really get at the true facts. He went on to live his life, to do his thing, everything else. And to this day, he's just doing you know, wonderfully in life and doing what he has to do. And if I just kind of looked at it and was like, ah, you know, who are you, whatever, you're guilty, it would have been one thing. I didn't do that. And so it taught me in every case that I did you know, since and hence, it's never impossible. It's never impossible. Do what you got to do, and there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And that's the story. That is so, a great story. So, 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 I love that story. So, gee, two things came to mind. First of all, mm -hmm. I'm thinking about Denzel Washington. When he's telling the guy, hey, what you know is what you can prove. <laughs> right? That's the first thing that made me feel that way. And the second thing is, I am highly probable to making some mistakes. So I'm going to keep your number, Joe, Joey, so I can call you in case, in case something happens. <laughs> we are we're gonna, we're gonna keep we are officially homeboys right now. <laughs> so I want I want I want to shift. Okay. I want to shift. I want to shift the, the question a little a little bit. So we now know that Joe Biden is selecting a, a member for our Supreme Court, and he has said during his campaign 
promises that it was going to be a, a black a black woman for that seat. With that, with that being said, and we see all of these attacks, especially when it comes to Roe versus Wade, we, we see a movement that's happening in, in many states and in, in, in addressing the rights for women in a reproductive life, but, but impacting women in a general sense. How do you feel that, or what do you think that the impact that a black woman on the highest court in the land will have in terms of improving the trajectory of women's rights, equality, um, and, and all those things that have been, you know, things that the, the struggle for femininity and, and all of those things? So Jazz, I think it's a wonderful question. And the answer is that the time has come. Not only has the time come, but we are far long overdue. A court has to reflect, consistent with what I was talking about when I was talking about the police, the court has to reflect the diversity of the community, the wealth of the community, the knowledge of the community, the talent of the community, the wisdom of the community, the humanity of the community. It has to mirror that. And we can't have a court, right, that just has, uh, you know, all one particular nationality on it, right? White males have historically uh, controlled things over the course of time. I just think diversity is always rich. Diversity allows us to sit in a room and it allows me to learn about other people who I may not know about their experience, but perhaps they might educate me. And that education of me might change my views as to the way I look at a particular issue. I think that it's high time that on a court, right? And Justice Sonia Sotomayor, giving her a shout out because she's from the boogie down too, the Bronx, all right? We're again, the people are fresh. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I think that, that that was, you know, very good. And we could talk about Sandra Day Okada and Ruth O'Connor, excuse me, and, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, et cetera. But I just think the time for an African-American woman to be on that court, to give that perspective is just, would be a wonderful thing. And number one, you know, beyond the sim symbolic effect of that, Think of all the little women right now, the little children right now, the little girls right now who you know, may have a question and may question whether they could rise to the highest levels of government, of leadership, of business. What example does that set? It sets the example that you too, if you apply yourself, if you keep dreaming, if you keep believing, if you keep working, if you keep moving when people are doubting you, you can get there. The message that it sends to all communities and our community in particular, right, about how important it is to have a person who understands the unique experience, right, of the community being on that court, how she would evaluate cases under that spectrum and pillar. And I said before, right, your, your, your judgment and all of us are products of our environment and our upbringing. If my experience with officers, right, to repeat myself from what I said earlier, is that they were pat frisking me and harassing me, I'm going to be suspicious and concerned about them. If my experience was that they helped me with the cat out the tree, they're going to be best ever. But I think the reason I use that example is we need a person with a unique and different experience to color the judgment of those that are around them. And so I think that would be an exceptional thing. We have to remember, though, that it's, it's still a six to three majority of conservative justices who really carry the day when it comes to, you know, really uh, making specific laws. And I know they don't make laws. People are going to attack me. How an attorney said that the Supreme Court makes laws. Yeah, they do. We have a legislature that passes laws, but no, make no mistake about it. What the Supreme Court says is law is law. So they're making law. And um, 
I just think that it would really ch change the, ch the tide and trajectory. And I think it's a, a beautiful thing and the day has come. It's long overdue and I can't wait for it to happen. Hey, so, you know, it's going to be my last question for you, Joey. Um, what, 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 what do you see Joey Jackson in the next five, 10 years? Do you have any aspirations of maybe possibly, you know, being in politics, maybe running for officer, um, or writing a book? So what do you see Joey Jackson in the next five or 10 years? Well, I see myself coming back to the, the G and Jazz podcast, which is going to be blown up by then. All right. You guys are going to invite me. OK. <laughs> And I'm going to be able to maybe kick some knowledge or wisdom to your vast audience that's out there. And we're going to all be good. But on a serious side, I think you guys are tremendously talented. And I think you perform a service that, you know, the community so needs. And so I applaud you for doing it. And I know that you're only going to get bigger and better at what you do. Um, so thank you for doing it. In terms of myself, you know, I don't have any political aspirations. I used to, uh, you know, back in the day, uh, thinking that I could change the world and everything else. I think my aspirations at this point in my life are to be the best, you know, father uh, I can be, be the best husband I can be, be the best person, uh, you know, to other people, to treat people kindly and respectfully. I don't care whether the person shining your shoes, bringing you your food, or, you know, or, or signing checks. I think that that person, you know, merits our respect and we need to be and move to a more humane society. Um, you know, I'm not so much uh, Jay and Jazz a religious person as I am a spiritual one. I think that every one of us has an assignment. I see myself, you know, not to get crazy or weird, but as a person who has an assignment too, right? I'm a representative and a disciple of, you know, of the man upstairs. And I have to lead by example. Um, you know, I'm not always going to lead by example. I'm not always going to be right. I'm not always going to make the right decisions. But again, although perfection eludes us all, Jazz and G, it doesn't mean that every day I don't try to be my best. And so I'm just going to live my best life. I'm going to build the best law firm I, I have. I'm very, you know, proud of, of what I did with this law firm in Midtown Manhattan. It started off with me and one person uh, in, a, in a cafeteria. Uh, you know, we've got six attorneys, we've got four paralegals, we've got, you know, uh, a nice little office going here. And if I could build upon that, and when I say I to build upon that, um, you know, obviously, yes, that benefits me, my family and everyone who works here, family, but it also benefits the people that we protect and that we serve and that we defend. And that's our mission. You know, we protect and defend with integrity uh, and take pride in what we do. And so if I could build my firm up, if I could continue to you know, be good to my family and build them up. If I could continue to inspire others, if I could continue to meet with people who are going through it, law students, my son's a law student, he's in the second year, he's going to his third. If I could continue to speak with law students and college students and, you know, kids in communities and maybe inspire one or two other people, I'd love to do it. Um, I enjoy my media stuff. I think you can educate people there. I don't ever want to tell people what to think. I just want to give them the tools to think for themselves by giving them the sides of the equation. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll get a couple of blessings from above on the way and it'll keep me strong and healthy and I'll be able to, you know, fulfill my mission while I'm here. So that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. Excellent. And how do people, if people want to get in contact with your law firm, how would they go about doing it? They want to get in contact with your law firm. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that, G. So 
you know, if anybody wants to reach out to us, you can just, if you Google me, Joey Jackson, I'll come up, my law firm will come up, our email will come up. We're all an open book nowadays, right? It's crazy. You Google something, it says everything about it. I'm like, damn, why not have me on social media? Uh, it's unbelievable, right? So yeah, they could just Google me and they could find me. But, you know, we do, we do a lot of great work. We represent uh, unions and you know, individuals, and I, I'm proud of that. And I, I got to tell you, you know, when I look at people who have made the road for me, like the Johnny Cochran's of the world, um, you know, I drew a lot of inspiration from that to see a person of color who just had so much, uh, you know, who garnered so much respect because of the talent, his ability, and also his humanity. And I just remember meeting him a couple of times and him just being so good to me. And who was I to be a person who was good to? Um, and that's the example I want to set. I think that, you know, we're all in this boat, uh, you know, we're all together and we're never too big or never too small for anybody. We just got to continue to work with, you know, and, and uplift each other. And so I think that's my mission and I'm going to try to do it, uh, jazz and G as best as I can for as long as I'm allowed to by the guy upstairs. Hopefully my expiration date is way long and I'm going to be here. So we'll <laughs> yes, see. Yes, sir. Way long. <laughs> Yo, all right, Jazz, what's your closing remarks, Jazz closing and remarks. Before I get my closing remarks, my friend, we have to do a, a couple of commercials. Number one, I just want to let everyone know that this, this particular podcast is sponsored by Harris Apparel.com. Harris Apparel is one of our partners with apparel and also merchandise. And you can Google, Google Harris Apparel um, online and, and see what his offerings are, as well as to purchase G and Jazz merchandise. Number two, um, we're still looking for... Um, uh, nominees for our tribute to phenomenal women women um you can go on our website gandjazz.com g-e-e-a-n-d-j-a-z-z.com and you can see the uh the, the announcement in terms of how to nominate a phenomenal woman and i know that our woman listeners know some phenomenal women out there um and, and lastly i would just state that um i really appreciate the time that you have spent with us uh, Joey, um, I know that our listening audience, I know that I gained a lot and I know that our listening audience will gain a lot um, just to hear about your experience. And what's, I think what's, what resonates more is that um, to see you as a black man and the level of success you have had uh, and, and will have, and it relates to me, it relates to G and Jazz, meaning that we were in the same city, breathing the same air, doing the same thing, and we were able to rise above all of the, the negativity that happens within inner cities, in particular New York City. And so I just want to thank you for your time, because I know your, your time is important. So, yeah. Jack, let me just tell you this. You know, your time's uh, equally, if not more important, as is G's. Uh, I appreciate you opening up this platform to me. And, um, you know, let's just continue to do the best we can and work with each other cooperatively. I'm proud of both of you and all you do. Uh, you inspire so many people, including me. Make no mistake about that. Uh, you know, there's so many ways to inspire. It's just not, you know, um, you know, being on a screen or CNN or anywhere else. It's, it's by how we treat people. It's about what we do for each other. It's about what we bring and it's about our brand and who we are. And you guys are the creme de la creme. And I got to give a shout out to my girl, Renee, uh, Renee Hill, uh, who brought us together. Uh, you know, that's my sister. She's she's tremendous peeps, Absolutely. a phenomenal attorney and, and even a better human being. Yes, uh, and, you, and, and Joey, you can nominate her as phenomenal woman. 
for I, I will. And I think her, I don't know. See, here's the issue, right? And you can't, I know we recorded, so I'm gonna have to cut this out. But I don't know who to I don't know who to nominate more. Her or her daughter Ashley. They're both killing Absolutely. it. Absolutely. That's right. Exactly. They both yeah, they, they both I killing mean, it. Absolutely. Like every time I turn around, her daughter got some other award, some other degree. I say well, exactly. Like this is She's crazy. Special. Yes, she is special. Yeah. So I want to say, man, I want to say, you know, you you definitely have inspired me. I I so respect and appreciate you. I I, I want I wanted to say that I wish you a, a continued success. You know, you are definitely representing us so well. Uh, um, a brother from that city, just like I was from New York City, doing what you do, man. You inspire us. We appreciate you so much. And we want to say on, on behalf of the G and G talking on that jazz podcast. Thank you so much for joining our show, you know. So with that being said, I'm going to say I'm G. And I'm Jazz. And this is G talking about Jazz, and we're out. Peace. Out. Yes. <laughs>